With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Beth Lindot and I'm back in the hosting hot seat today as we reflect on Liverpool's one-all draw with Luton Town in the Premier League. Now, there might not have been many fireworks from Jürgen Klopp's side at Kenilworth Rose, but I'm lucky enough to be joined by a stellar panel who will hopefully help bring some sparkle to today's pod. Paul Gore, star LFC correspondent. How magical was it your first trip to the Kenny? Uh, do you know what? I was expecting a, a typical kind of um, lower league ground where it's very tight, very compact, and the atmosphere is ferocious. And for a Premier League club, that's exactly what it was. Um, and, I'm, you know, we're going to come on to some of the chants and stuff like that. But, you know, other than that, that's kind of the hostile atmosphere that they like to create. Uh, and it was um, an experience, shall I say. It reminded me a little bit of when Liverpool played Shrewsbury a few mm. years back in the in the FA Cup, you know, that type of environment. Um, so, yeah, just wanted to take off, I guess, on my, uh, on my list of venues. But um, we're going to come out to the performance now, aren't we? And it, it wasn't, wasn't good enough, to be honest. But... Um, yeah, that's it. We'll see if we're back there next season. Not too sure. Yeah, uh, I'm also joined by Keith McDonald. Now, Keith, you said coming into the office yesterday, you had a bit of a bad feeling. Are you a bit of a psychic when it comes to, to Premier League upsets? I think, I think just a pessimist, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know why. I just had a bit of a, a bad feeling about yesterday, I suppose. I just had to go out earlier. I'm not sure what I, I could attribute that to, but, you know, kind of paid off really, didn't it? That, you know, Liverpool didn't, didn't perform. Um, so, yeah, plenty to discuss, plenty of talking points. I'm, I'm sure we'll get to them shortly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, goes to you were there for us, and it was it was a weird one, wasn't it? Really, because mm. for, for ninety five minutes, it was such a frustrating performance, and the story of the match, I guess, was already written until sort of the ninety fifth minute. Luis Diaz comes comes yeah. down and, and salvages an emotional late equaliser. But, but what did you make of it overall yesterday? Yeah, it was. Um, it it just wasn't wasn't great, was it at all? You know, we've actually had loads about Liverpool this season about their ability to. You know, look like the kind of back to their old selves with a little bit of a, a new swagger and a, a new midfield, but this was a, a shocking kind of aggression to the dark days of last season when the likes of Bournemouth and Brentford and Wolves and you know even Brighton to an extent were were beating Liverpool quite comfortably away from home. Liverpool have got a bit of a bit of an issue now, I think, with with teams who the they should be beating on paper away from home. Um, you know, last season you're looking at it. They went to Fulham on the open weekend, who'd just been promoted to a two-all draw. Got beat to Bournemouth. Um, and 
they got beat by Forest as well. So that's one point from nine against newly promoted teams last season. They've now made it two points from twelve. You know, if you throw Luton into the mix, and that's a statistic that needs to change. Really, if Liverpool have got serious hopes on doing something this season, they need to be winning these sorts of games. And you know, it massively impacted them last season, and it didn't get top four because of results like that. Mm-hmm. So you know, if Liverpool would have turned, you know, even like six or seven points instead of you know, that that run that they actually did get, you could be looking at being in the Champions League this season. So it makes a massive difference and they just weren't at it at all yesterday. Too many off the boil. Mo Salah was ineffective. So Bosley probably had his, his poorest game that I've seen him have as a Liverpool player. McAllister, again, some question marks over whether he is a long-term um, candidate for that number six role. Uh, Joe Gomez at left-back didn't really work. Um, just all over the pitch and Darwin Nunez's miss is just absolutely shocking isn't it you know we've spoken about him a lot on this pod um, you know kind of laughing off when you know he should be scoring against Toulouse or Union San Gilwar in the Europa League and Liverpool are still winning but when he's, he's missing those sorts of chances and, and Liverpool aren't winning that's when it becomes a big problem um, some suggestions that the offside flag was raised that I thought it was actually the offside uh, the linesman putting up the, the goal kick but um, he should have scored it nonetheless. But, um, you know, I suppose the good news is Liverpool didn't lose. Mm-hmm. Well, Gorsi touched on it there, Kiefer, in terms of Liverpool's records against nearly promoted sides. And obviously last season failed to, to beat any of those sides away from home. But it's actually October 2021, which was, was Liverpool's last win against a newly promoted side. That was Watford, the 5-0 dispatch of Watford. What What's going on there? What do you think it is that... that makes them slip so poor against these sides that they should be beating? I'm not sure. But, I mean, if, if that's kind of... Throw, throw my kind of 50 pence in. I don't know if it's like the low block. And that's, you know, we've seen that in, you know, Klopp this year's reference mm. that it's, you know, year one of Liverpool. Um, you know, if you kind of go back to his early tenure in, you know, 2015, 2016, you know, they could compete against the the, the big sides, the cities, the United's, but then it was kind of those, as we see, these kind of defeats like yesterday that were, were kind of their, their Achilles heel. And I'm not sure what it is, but, you know, you look at how Luton's goal come yesterday and maybe Liverpool were committing too many men, I think. They left one on the halfway line, which and, and Elliot was on the edge of the box, and all of a sudden they cleared the ball out, and it's a, a three on one at one point. So I'm not entirely sure. It's it's weird, isn't it? Because it feels like two point strokes, but in reality it should be viewed as a point game yesterday because it's up until the 95th minute to take, produce something. And as Gorsi says, if you've, you've got aspirations of you know competing in the Champions League at the top end of the Premier League, you can't be viewing trips to Luton as a point game. But that's mm. the reality of, of what yesterday was. Um, but you know, I think. While this year we've seen like really good sides of Liverpool, and you know maybe they've they've kind of exceeded expectations at times. You know you think of the the, the win at Newcastle um, and kind of how they dispatched teams like Villa with ease, and and even Nottingham Forest last weekend. I think this was kind of a firm reminder, as, as Klopp kind of said all along, that you know this don't get too carried away. There is still a, a you know a long way to go in this journey until they are going to reach the, the heights of kind of their predecessors of you know twenty one, twenty two, and and so on. But yeah, it was just it was just deflating. It was kind of a momentum zapping, wasn't it? Because it, it felt like everyone has kind of had that that date with uh, City circled on the twenty fifth of November, and it felt like if you go to there with with the the difference between the two side being one point, then you know you almost got a free hit because if you lose that and it's four points, it's like oh, it's not the end of the world. If you get a draw, that's it's one point. It's not the end of the world. But all of a sudden, you think you know they they've got if they lose that, well they you know if they beat Brentford next week, it'll be. Uh, 
and the gap's still three points. So if they lose at City, it'll be six. And then all of a sudden they've got United and Arsenal next month. So it just shows kind of how quickly things can change. On the flip side of that is if they had won yesterday and they had won next week, they go into that game. As I say, City, you know, bouncing into it, I think, you know, would have been five wins consecutively in the Premier League. So it's just a, a, a bitter pill to swallow, really, because as I say, they've kind of done all the hard work this season at times with 10 men and kind of in the face of adversity. And then it was like, on paper, what should have been a straightforward task against newly promoted Luton, like no disrespect to them, and they kind of fluffed their lines. Yeah, I mean, Keith just sums it up perfectly there, Gorsty, but you are sort of loath to criticise this Liverpool team because there has been so much to like about them mm. since the start of this season, but this is a problem, as we've mentioned, that, that dates back to sort of the early days of Jurgen Klopp's tenure, and even in, in the, the title-winning season back in, in 2020, they had that 3-0 defeat away to, to Watford, didn't they, who, who were you know, sort of relegation fodder and, and they managed to, to hand Liverpool their first Premier League defeat of the season. Do you think it can be levelled at Liverpool? Sometimes it's maybe a bit of an attitude issue. Maybe it's a little bit of complacency sets in sometimes against these teams. Yeah, certainly over the last, since the start of last season, definitely. It was something you, you could never really properly level at Liverpool. Normally, you know, if they didn't get a result, it was, wasn't really down to being an attitude thing. But you're looking at it now and you're thinking, well, maybe, is it? Because... Particularly the, the the Bournemouth game in March, you know they went there six days after beating Man United seven nil, and they got beat. Uh, Bournemouth, were, I think they might have even been bottom of the league that that, that afternoon. Um, and you're looking at you trying to explain reasons for why, and perhaps there is uh, a little bit of a of an attitude issue, maybe. You know the likes of Andy Robertson was a massive miss yesterday. You know those types of players ensure that. The mentality and the preparation and all that kind of stuff is, is spot on. Um, Liverpool have got enough leaders in there to to make sure that it isn't a problem. But there's, um, you know, m- maybe it was yesterday. I think they didn't really create too many chances, did they? I think if you're looking at it and you you know the keepers pulled off a load of worldies and whatever, and you think sometimes that can happen. But it wasn't overly worked really. Come in to see, you know, the saves he made were saves that you'd expect a Premier League goalkeeper to make. Nunes. A little bit unlucky when he hits the bar in the first half, and then obviously he should score. But other than that, there wasn't too much, was there? Jota had that one that he saved. Nunes had another couple that, that he's been quite comfortable for the keeper. So it was just one of those days where Liverpool were um, were off key. You know, I think I said on Friday, didn't I, that you know Liverpool's front five options mean that you know if you keep three of them quiet, the other two off the bench will come on and chase the game or whatever. But that was probably as poor as a collective as, as I've seen for a long time. Um, only for Diaz popping up with the the equaliser in the last minute with a header, or 95th minute. You know, you'd be looking at a really embarrassing setback. So, you know, fair play to Diaz for first declaring himself available and then coming off and, and rescuing his team. Um, but other than that, there was just nothing really to take as a positive from yesterday it was a really really poor afternoon and like Kiefer says now um, they've got to go into that Brentford game and, and get three points I mean they, they should be doing that anyway at home but it just puts a little bit more pressure on it and then you know if you don't get it you're going into that international break and the picture looks a lot gloomier The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo It's only a kick A jump a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 
Whether it's the legendary lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay and so are we. I mean, collectively, it was a really poor performance, wasn't it? And it's it's harsh to sort of lay the blame squarely on anybody's shoulders. Yeah. I think Jota probably should have done better, actually, with that, that effort in the first half. He has more time than he realised, and yeah. he kind of snatches yeah. at it, doesn't he? I think he maybe should have gone across the... Yeah, I, I'm surprised he didn't. When, um, when he tried to catch him out, isn't he? There? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and Mo Salah, of course, with that header that, that led to that Darwin Nunes miss, you know, undoubtedly was going for goal there, and he, he made a bit of a hash yeah. of it, so... Um, you know, there wasn't one player culpable for it solely, but obviously Darwin Nunes will get most of the headlines mm -hmm. for, for all the wrong reasons for, for that miss. I mean, you know, as, as Gorsty said earlier, well, after that Toulouse game, we all sort of said, you know, oh, well, it's not too bad because it didn't impact Liverpool too harshly. You know, they were already winning the game. It was in the Europa League. But like I said on the pod that week, you know, if that if that miss comes against a side when it's it's nil-nil and it yeah, goes on to cost Liverpool, then actually it's not very funny. And so it proved yesterday. He's got to sort of cut those mistakes yeah. out of his game, hasn't he? Absolutely, especially off the back of what he did at Bournemouth on, on Wednesday night. That kind of felt like it summed him up and I know there was you know a bit of discourse about his touch and whatnot whether it was a bad touch or whatever but you know just kind of plucking that moment out of you know just the air and winning Liverpool the game like that was was kind of what what you want to see from Darwin Nunes on a regular basis and I think the the, my, the kind of assessment I've made of him is when he's got time to think and his and he could kind of brain goes into overdrive is, is where yeah. he's at his worst isn't he Bit, bit like Didier Drogba in that respect, I, I always thought when he was instinctive, that was a, he was yeah. at his best, and, and Nunes seems a bit similar, really. Yeah, and uh, you know, there's a lot of comparison there with Suarez, and you could probably put him in that same bracket of just you know in half spaces and half seconds to win games. He he can, he can do that, but you know, if you if you think of what I mean, he's not going to be in Erling Haaland, is he? But if you, if he kind of wants, if Liverpool are going to want a number nine to, to win in the Premier League and win in the Champions League, that's kind of the level that they got to be looking at. And I don't think anyone's doubting the attributes that he's got. He, he you know, if he if he gets other kind of the, the mental side, I think, of his game, right? I think he could certainly, you know, one day be scoring 25, 30 goals in the Premier League on a regular basis. But it's just, you, it's, it's as you say, Beth, it's kind of cutting out all the, the nonsense that's come, mm -hmm. that comes with it because, you know, he's, he's made such big progress this season. He's made such big steps on and off the field in terms of, you know, being able to communicate with his teammates. And I think, you know, Klopp has mentioned that, or, uh, you know, in, I think last week as well, he said that, you know, no longer does he, he you know, to communicate with them was quite hard at the start. And, yeah. And now it's obviously not a smooth process, but a smoother process. Um, and, and obviously now he's starting games for Liverpool on a regular basis. And I even thought yesterday the fact that he was he was deployed on the left. And I know Joe Gomez is like a, a more defensively stable option, but clearly Klopp is now trusting him in tracking back and following runners. And that's something that you know even as early as I don't know April time, Klopp kind of mentioned as a bit of a red flag of Nunes that he, he wasn't maybe um, you know robust in the process of. Of, of pressing and counter pressing and and he said that was his, his ticket into the team but it kind of feels like he's got that side of his game on the up and it's just he's kind of silly silly misses that you know will get clipped and shared and whatever and it's not going to do him as a as a as a person any good is it so you just kind of hope that you can kind of eradicate them because as you say it's all well and good doing it against Toulouse when you know he's already scored and you know he's already got the headlines in his own capacity but to do it you know on a on an afternoon night yesterday when Liverpool really needed someone to step up and um, you know that's that's what people are going to kind of remember his performance as, as yesterday has. And I think just to go back to, as you were saying earlier, trends against, um, you know, newly promoted sides, I think if you look at it from a looser perspective, you know, I know they didn't have 
and a, an abundance of chances Liverpool but the ones they did miss they just grow in belief don't they I mean even not, not necessarily the Jota one but the, the Nunes one I think he does all the, the right stuff to, to kind of control it on his knee and, and kind of get the shot away but you know, if, you could, if he just had an extra touch or maybe a, a bit of delicacy about him, maybe lifted it over the goalkeeper, obviously it's easier said than done. Um, just chip the keeper. Yeah. No, but do, do you know what I mean? Like, I, think, it, I think to be fair, I think he'd done the hardest part. That's what I mean, in controlling the ball. Yeah. He was moving on to it at some yeah. speed and, and he took it well in the stride yeah. and then he's hit it almost in one motion and then he's been unlucky with that one, I, I, thought, yeah. but I know what you mean. Yeah. But, and then even, I, I always think back to the Forest game last year of how many chances they missed early doors and you know, you referenced the, the Bournemouth defeat earlier this year, they missed a penalty and, mm. and then teams like that who, who live for moments and they hang on, they, you know, they have, they'll have a game plan of right 20 minutes, keep it, you know, keep it tight, don't give them anything, um, you know, 45 to 60, keep it tight, give them nothing and then you might look to grow into the game mm. and they could count up a second, they could go and that's, that's exactly what Luton did yesterday and, you know, Liverpool put one of those, you know, half chances, if you want to call them that yesterday, whether it be Jot and Nunes or, you know, even the, the glare and Nunes one in the second half. I don't think Luton come back. They probably think, look, we'll take a 1-0 here because we could have, you know, on another day been beaten 3 or 4-0. And, you know, sides like that will be looking at goal differences as points come the end of the season. So it's fine margins like that, which allow Lutons to kind of build on and, and then ultimately come back and back and bite you when you don't take your chances. Yeah, I'd, I'd be reluctant to be too critical of Nunes because no, yeah. he's having a really good season. Um, <clears throat> but if he scores that yesterday, um, he scores the one against Toulouse, he scores the one against USG, he's on to 10 there for the season. Um yeah. And all of a sudden you're looking at it thinking, this fella is ready to really take flight. And um, <clears throat> I'm sure he'll brush it off and he'll go again as he tends to do. And, and in fairness, he was the only one who was looking like making anything happen yesterday, particularly in the first half <clears throat> from an attacking perspective. But um, if he just converts the ones he should, his goals, he'll just quietly rise and rise. And then you're looking at it thinking, well, how many can this fella get? But um, He's got to start sticking those away, I think. I mean, his goal contributions for the season, I had, I had a look earlier, I think it's a goal and assist every 63 minutes, mm. you know, for Liverpool in all competitions, which is which is brilliant. And if you, you know, you put that over 63 games or whatever it would be, you'd, you know, you'd rack up with like 25 goals and 20 assists, which would be brilliant. And you'd expect that would deliver some big trophies for Liverpool. But as you say, it's the, the more, you know, if he was missing all the hard chances and, and burying the easy ones, you'd be like, well, is he a bit of a limited striker? But it's the fact that he's doing all the hard work and, and kind of the easy ones where, you know, he should just get a knee on it or, you know, a shin on it or whatever. Yeah. He's, he's he's kind of failing to put those away. And as Gorsi said, he'll dust himself down because he, he sadly he's been in this position before where he's, you know, had big misses and stuff. But it's just now you, you hope that, you know, if he can get a few goals in midweek against Toulouse and a few at Brentford, then he's maybe going into that City game in a, in a better frame of mind kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think like, like Gorsi said, I don't want to criticise him too much because he was one of the only players who looked like making anything happen yesterday and he does deserve credit for that. Um, but I think, as you say, you know, Liverpool probably back themselves in, in a lot of games now that even if they have a poor first half, that they'll come out in the second half stronger yeah. and they'll always walk with a goal. And I think yesterday proved that, you know, ultimately, obviously, they get the equaliser through Diaz, but as you say, in team, against teams like Luton, who are going to sort of try and defend it and hold on for as long as they can, you really do need to put those chances away, don't you? But another player who, who struggled yesterday was, was Alexis McAllister. And I, I feel really sorry for him, to be honest. I'm a big fan of him. I think he's a brilliant player. And I just don't think we're seeing the best of him at all. I think, you know, Endo has, has obviously had sort of a mixed start to, to life on Merseyside. But for me, I just think he's he's a number six, playing in a number six role and, and playing McAllister a bit further forward. I mean, what are your thoughts on that goal? What are your thoughts on his performance? Yeah, I mean, I, a bit torn really because the game against Forest, you can sort of see what the thinking is with McAllister in there. Um, doesn't have to snap into tackles and win them in a Fabinho type manner or a Javier Mascherano. Very 
subtle and it's all about touch and technique and vision, isn't it, with McAllister when he plays in there. And it, it worked well, I thought, against Forrest. But then, you know, a week later, he's getting overrun and he's getting outfought and outbattled and it starts to become a little bit of a concern, doesn't it? You know, there was one there where he, he got booked when short corner gets taken to him and, it, and he kind of dawdles on it, loses it, and then he has to take a booking because it's a cynical one. And I think it was him who lost the, was it him who lost the, the ball for the goal. Yeah, what was it? What was it? I can't recall. Um, I haven't, I haven't seen it back. I haven't had a chance to watch much of today, but it seemed to picture to me. Yeah, it was McAllister. If it wasn't, then this point might be Elliot. You know, it might have been Elliot. Was it Elliot? Okay, just throwing people under the bus at this stage. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll err on the side of caution then with that one. But generally, I just didn't think it was um, it was his day. Um, it's difficult because he's playing out of position, isn't it? And I think you know, even Clock will concede privately that they still need a world-class defensive midfielder and the fact that he went after Moises Caicedo probably reveals as much and the fact that Endo was a little bit of a stopgap short cut price signing tells you as much as well so there is evidence that Liverpool do think that as well um, but until then it looks like McAllister is, is going to be this number six and my big concern is that Manchester City game in, in November, well when is it 23rd of November is it 25th Um because I think McAllister as a lone six against City, even without Kevin De Bruyne, will be um, a difficult day for Liverpool to get something out of that one. Um, maybe we could bring Endo in for it. Maybe he'll go with, with two in there. I'm not sure. But I just wonder how long it's going to last as an experiment because I can see little bits of, it, of what they're working towards, but then I can see a lot more that isn't really working. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I think as well in the Premier League, sort of playing away from home is a different proposition, mm-hmm. isn't it? Regardless of who you're playing against. Mm-hmm. And I think having him, as you said, the lone six away from home, regardless of whether it's, you know, a top of the table side or, or sort of relegation fodder, I just don't think that, that reason Especially against a side like Luton, who are probably going to be fine on scrapping on second balls. And, yeah. You know, yeah. You're going to have to get people around him and help him out. But it's interesting, as you say, Gorsi, yeah, I think for that City game, I've, I've Funny enough, I've thought it since you know, probably since September after the Wolves game. I think he'll do the 4-2-3-1 at City. And I think he'll do some as Lion Jones just to get obviously Jones's ball retention. Obviously, he's really good, and I think that's you know it's a difficult task in the ball against City. So I think that'll be really important. And also, suppose I just his athleticism. I think he'll probably sacrifice McAllister for that one because I mean, he did it in when he hooked him at Wolves. He went to the 4-2-3-1, I think, didn't he, for the second yeah. half? And yeah. They just look so much better there and. It was kind of chalk and cheese with when the Callister in the first half getting overrun, kind of everything that yesterday was, and then the second half there was a lot more control and kind of standard authority on the game, and we were able to play. And I just I kind of thought that over you know, kind of the, the, the six eight weeks since that in the big big games, because I think that is a concern for McAllister. Um, you know, when you are playing away from home, when you are you know going to Old Trafford in April, you know potentially with top four on the line, or the, you know if you're in a title challenge or whatever, you, you do need to go and kind of assert your dominance. So I think he, he could do that, but. I think against Forest and those kind of sides, it will work because 
he almost is given license to be more free, isn't he? Because Luke will push higher up the field and he's he's almost a, an extra number eight as opposed to a lone number six, isn't he? So, mm-hmm. as, as you say, last week against Forest, he wins the ball back and drives it with a pitch. Yeah. And then, you know, then that sort of first goal plays through Salah, doesn't he? And then Salah plays it onto Sabatlai or whatever. But, you know, it just, it feels like, as Gorsi said, it is very much a stopgap solution at this point. But I don't think it's any fault of McAllister because he's, he's kind of doing... You know, we saw how long it took Fabinho to adapt to that role. And, you know, one Liverpool did get that role right, it kind of led to all the success. So it just, you know, it shows how important it is. But the flip side of that is, there's, as we said so many times on this pod in, in recent months, there's such a lack of good number sixes or world-class number sixes out there who are available. I mean, there's what, Rodri, Declan Rice. I mean, Caicedo previously, I think, going to run at Chelsea. And, and after that, you, you, you're you hoping to buy potential, aren't you? Like your lab years and those kind of players. So it's kind of a sticky situation. So it'll be interesting to see if Liverpool do address it in January or they do kind of persist with, with what they've got. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the one sort of semi-positive is that he actually picked up at a fifth book over season yesterday. So you'll miss, yeah, yeah. He'll miss yeah, that yeah. game next week against against Brentford, but he will be available for City as an option, you know, regardless of whether Klopp opts to play him or not. Uh, one thing I will just say, obviously, he picked up that book in with a, from a short corner, didn't he? And I said to you earlier, I, I just can't abide short corners. Yeah, I just, I just think... You whip it in the box, you've got a chance of scoring directly, it could hit someone's hand, it could deflect in. Get a penalty these days. Yeah, I just I just hate it and I'm putting on record that I'm bad. Got to sit down the barrel. Yeah. <laughs> it's always well with, with that Woodley Pillar. It's set pieces, you know, yeah. one night goes forward, can I take? Yeah, um, some advice as well. Yeah, that was a baffling one there. Yeah. Uh, another sort of player who, who struggled a little bit with was Joe Gomez starting at mm. left back and maybe another experiment that didn't really work out. I mean, it, I think it was the first time since 2018 Gomez had started at left back. And I did think when I, when I saw the team, it doesn't doesn't spell good news for Pacificast really, does it? I mean, you would like to think that he would come straight into the team as sort of a, a like-to-like replacement for Randy Robertson. But I think even... After that injury to, to Robertson the other week, Jurgen Klopp made a point of saying, you know, Gomez can play there mm-hmm. as well. And yeah. We've got these young players, which at the time I thought that's not really a vote of confidence <laughs> in Simicast. Obviously, signed a new deal in, in September and, and then came on and had a sort of questionable cameo at the end, didn't he, really, Simicast? I mean, what do you think about that sort of left back debate? Who do you think is, is the best person to play in there while Robbo's out? Yeah, I'm surprised to see Gomez there because. When I think of Gomez at left back, I just think of those very early mm-hmm. Brendan Rodgers days for like three, four games, and and he did well at the time. But you know that was years and years ago. He's not, he's not a natural right back, so he's certainly not a natural left back. Mm-hmm. Um, so difficult for him. But I, I can see the thinking in terms of Liverpool shifting into a back three and Trent going forward and doing what he does a little bit more. Um, I think Gomez would be better suited to that than Simakas. But uh, if it's a back four, in a traditional sense. Simakas is obviously your man, um, but the problem is, you know, Robertson's going to be injured until January at the earliest, so Liverpool are playing a lot of games in, in that time, and you can't expect Simakas to play every game, because if he pulls up with something, then Liverpool really are in, in the mire, and it's just, it's not an ideal situation, is it? Um, so I could maybe see Klopp thinking, well, maybe we can get away with, in inverted commas, Gomez at left back for this one, and um, maybe even for Toulouse on, on Thursday. Um, Especially with Townsend cutting in yesterday, I think that was probably behind his thinking as well. Wasn't yeah, it? And yeah, yeah. You know, the two lads on, on wide for looting, I can't remember the lad's name on the on, on their left. But yeah, oh, better. I thought he had, he had the. Gave Trent a decent go, and clearly yeah. that was part of their kind of blueprint to get the ball out wide nicely at the fullbacks. Mm. And, 
you know, probably, you know, Gomez is a bit more defensively minded than Simicast, who's, you know, probably lacks the final ball that Simicast has at times. So, probably, yeah, there, there, there was no width, was there? No. Certainly, if anyone trying comes inside as yeah. well, you, you lose it altogether, um, don't you? So it's an awkward one, really, but it's it's what Liverpool are having to deal with, essentially, with Robson out injured, and I could I can see the wisdom of not running Simicast into the ground. Um, that's why I'm surprised he started on Wednesday night, to mm-hmm. be honest, but. Um, yeah, I think maybe Liverpool just thought they could they could get by without him, really, and, and obviously it didn't quite work out like that. Yeah, I mean, we said on, on the pod last week that, you know, Liverpool, do they need to bring in another defender with Gerald Quantz's sort of rise this season? And I think maybe yesterday showed that, that bringing in sort of a left-sided defender who could be versatile and maybe play left-back as well is maybe the way forward. But we've been quite negative so far <laughs> today, so we'll, we'll go to a positive, and that's Luis Diaz, obviously incredibly brave of him to make himself available for yeah. the selection yesterday. And he comes on and gets his just reward, and he, he reveals a message on his shirt, which said freedom for Papa, which obviously then he, he released a powerful statement after the game, um, begging to, for the kidnappers of his father to, to release him immediately and end this painful wait. Obviously, a hugely emotionally charged moment yesterday. Kiefer, I mean, what a hero he is for coming on and doing what he did in these circumstances. Absolutely. I mean, let alone scoring, just for making himself available. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, you know, you can't even put into words. I mean, would have no experience of what he's been through. I mean, it just defies belief, doesn't it, really? And, you know, I suppose the... The, the good part of that is that we've, we've, I think this week has really highlighted the kind of camaraderie that there is at Liverpool. And I know you mentioned it in your verdict yesterday, and you go see kind of the South American, yeah. South American contingent yeah. and how they've kind of, they all went to at the final whistle and they've kind of looked after him. And obviously they are close knit off the field as well. But yeah, I mean, you kind of run out of things to say. I mean, what do you say? I think Klopp said that a few times. I mean, you know, as a football magic, he can only say so much. and He's probably, well, he's never had to deal with a situation like that before. I don't think anyone in, in football probably has. Um, but, yeah, it was just good to, to, I suppose, from his personal point of view, it, it does sound like, you know, negotiations are ongoing. So hopefully, you know, that will be resolved soon. And, and for him just to get kind of back on the pitch and, and kind of take his mind off it, I'm sure he would have appreciated that as well, just to kind of, you know, kind of imagine it being emotionally draining as well, if not physically draining from having, you know, no sleep. So to, to kind of get out there and, you know, resume training as he did earlier in the week and, as I say, score such a, a memorable goal and one that I'm sure will become iconic now, you know, if it hasn't already been broadcast across the, the globe millions and millions and time, millions of times. So, yeah, just really pleased for him. It was, a, obviously, as I say, a, a bit of a, a disappointment Pointing afternoon for Liverpool yesterday, but I think everyone, you know, regardless of who you support, can you know kind of put your allegiances to one side and just say that it was a really like beautiful Premier League moment. Mm. Yeah, I think all this has happened at such a, a strange time for Diaz and his family as well, because his partner's pregnant at the moment, so that's got its own stresses and strains. You know, when your family life is, is normal and, and balanced, and also it was their daughter's second birthday as well last week, so they're trying to attempt to celebrate that in some sort of way without. The, the grandfather being there or, you know, not really knowing what the situation is on the other side of the world. So it's just been such a, a strange, surreal week for him. Um, I actually asked him to, to stop and talk when he went past in the mix zone yesterday. I knew he'd say no, but I just thought nothing mentioned, nothing gained and all that. And he was polite about it, to be fair. He just had his head bowed and, you know, he was quite subdued and he just sort of shook his head as if saying not today. And um, I did speak to Van Dyke about it and he said... Everyone at the club, everyone in the squad is, is fully behind him. We support him. Any help that we can give him, we will give him that. And uh, it's just such a horrible situation to be in and, and we'll support him right through it. And I think you could see that at the end, couldn't you, with, with everyone going over to him. You know, Alison with a big bear hug and um, Endo was one of them, Van Dijk. And, and Sam Lockley, uh, Lockyer, to be fair, the, the Luton captain, he was on the first over there on the scene. 
Diaz's headers denied him a famous Premier League victory and, you know, a day he'll, he would have cherished for the rest of his career, I'm sure. But some things were more important. So he, he was basically showing his respect and, and his admiration for it as well. And you can only um, say what mental strength from Diaz to, like Keith says, just declare himself available, you know, let alone come off the bench and, and rescue his team from what would have been a an embarrassment really so um, yeah fair play to him um, hopefully it's a situation that's resolved sooner rather than later and we're not having to talk about it on Friday's pod um, negotiations are ongoing we believe between the Colombian government and the ELN but um, the fact that we're even talking about that on a football podcast is just <laughs> crazy really The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I mean, I did find myself after the game, sort of. I think we've been a bit spoiled lately, haven't we, with, with Liverpool? Only, only one defeat in 27, mm. 28 games. And you get a bit riled up when you have a result go against you like you did yesterday. But then you, the moments like that really put it into perspective, yeah. don't you? So, yeah, Absolutely. hopefully it will all be resolved very soon. Um, but another positive yesterday, I thought Harvey Elliott, a nice little cameo off the bench and again sets up Diaz for the winner. I mean, Keeper, what did you make of his display yesterday? Because he's not really let Liverpool down this season when called upon, has he? No, not at all. And he's a, he's a player I felt a bit sorry for this season, to be fair, because you know, he's had a few Europa League starts, hasn't he, in, in the Cup as well. But you, know, you look at kind of what he achieved last season, I, I think it was... Up until the Chelsea game, he played every game and finished with you know forty four odd appearances mm. overall competitions and only nineteen twenty kind of age. And you think he you know made huge steps. And then this season, because of how much money he's been spent on this kind of restructuring of the midfield, he's, he's kind of you know found himself you know playing a bit of a bit part role. And he's, he has become that kind of designated first sub, hasn't he, on, on 60, mm-hmm. 65. But you know his impact in so many games this season has, has been there. And he's so young and he's so vibrant and he really does kind of give the team something, you know, when they kind of need to be, when they need that just bit of impetus to do something different or kind of be a bit braver in possession, he kind of brings that. And, you know, we saw that in Wolves, uh, the, the victory over Wolves in September when he, he comes on and kind of, you know, how Liverpool kind of seize control of the game. And, and yesterday as well, I mean, the ball is absolutely brilliant. As I say, all the plaudits will go to Diaz and Ratty so for the header and everything that he's been through. But I've not seen a lot of people talk about the assist from Harvey. I mean, you know, the vision and to the audacity to try it is one thing, but to execute it is, is brilliant. You know, to put it between the kind of last defender and the goalkeeper in that kind of, you know, corridor of uncertainty <laughs> to call it is, uh, is, is brilliant. And, you know, as I say, I've, I, feel, I have felt a bit sorry for the season because, like, you know, he should be rewarded with a start for that, but the competition for places at Liverpool, something you know, that probably wasn't at times last season, is, is rife at the moment. So, you know, especially in those kind of two advanced midfield positions. But you know, you'd imagine he'd get a start against Toulouse on on Thursday, if not, you know, play a significant role, um, and then you know, hopefully, can build from there and, and kind of push on. Yeah, I mean, a testament, isn't it, really, Glossy, to to what he's like as a character as well. I mean, it would be easy for him to feel frustrated mm. having played such a large role last season, sort yeah. of being relegated to a role on the bench. But, you know, he never seems to sort of let it bother him, never seems to drop his head, and he comes on and, and puts in a display like that, yes. Yeah, I think he's, he's carved out a little bit of a niche for himself now, hasn't he, as someone who can come on and, and really influence games. Um, he's someone who, who sees himself growing in responsibility now as well within the group. He's obviously still one of the youngest in there. He's only 20, doesn't say 21 until April, but... 
given the the players who've left, the Milners, the Hendersons, Fabinho, Firmino, um, in case of Oxley Chamberlain, and the players who've come in are quite young themselves, aren't they? You know, Gravenberch is twenty one, McAllister's twenty four, Sobers Live is twenty three. Last week, you know, he, he sees himself with his experience now as, as someone who's a little bit of an influential voice within the group, and and that seems to be shown in in the authority of his performances. Um, he's playing well, to be fair, and he just needs to to keep it going, and you know, let the manager know that, you know, if, if he's choosing between Gravenberg and, and Jones for that third midfield slot, that he's as as viable option as, as them two as well. So, um, you'd imagine he will play on Thursday, and he's just got to keep it going. Absolutely. Well, one thing I do just want to touch on briefly, um, something that happened sort of away from from what was going on 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 the pitch, but. Um, more tragedy chanting, which unfortunately seems to be a, a regular issue now mm. in the Premier League. It was something that I thought Jamie Carragher spoke very well about um, on commentary. It was something Jurgen Klopp came out to condemn after the game. And it, it's just so frustrating, isn't it, Gorsi? Because I think so many people treat it as a bit of banter and, and just sort of part and parcel of going to the football. But it's it's really damaging, isn't it? It is, yeah. You know, I, I got to a, a, a stage around about a year ago, actually, when it just felt like it was happening in every game and you were banging your head against the wall and you were just saying the same things every week. Um, and then I didn't really notice it much um, since then, but you couldn't really fail to miss it yesterday, clear as day. We were sitting, actually, we were in the, basically in with the, the home fans and you couldn't miss it. It was, it was you know, surrounded by it. And there was someone who, <clears throat> who was sitting next to me, who, um, I'd, I'd never met him, actually. I don't know who he was working for, but... I think he heard the accents and you know he, he knew I was from Liverpool and he just sort of turned to look at me to see my, my reaction of feed the scousers and then the obviously the hills related stuff and I could, all I had to do was just say you know it's horrendous that this just keeps happening and it's it's one of them now where you know people come out and condemn it every time it happens and it just carries on happening um, mm. now if people are kind of unaware as to what it means then you could maybe say Fair enough, it happened once. Now you know it's you know taken as a slayer against the 97 victims of Hillsborough. Leave it at that, say no more, never ever mention it again. And you you know, reasonably expect people to say, okay, fair enough. You know, in the same way, any kind of discriminatory chant, if people are unaware of what it meant, um, and then they find out what it meant, and then it ends good. But people try to argue, argue the toss, people try to say that it's not about Hillsborough and this, that, and the other. and you know, if the Hillsborough families are saying it is, then why why can't they just be listened to and and it just just be just you know cease to exist? That doesn't seem to be the case. It's just too easy now for that chance to be thrown out against Liverpool fans, um, and it's just it's just sad that it keeps happening. Um, and I haven't actually heard what what Carragher said because it was obviously after the game and I haven't had the chance to to kind of digest much coverage of it. Other than our own, but I believe he, he was very well well spoken on it, and then um, good on him for saying that. And um, I think I think we've got a responsibility to to call it out on the likes of these podcasts and in our coverage and, and that type of stuff. So um, yeah, good good on on Carragher for that, and uh, let's hope we don't have to in in the future. But you know, evidence says that that we will. Sadly, I think it's sad because it's become so common place, hasn't it, in football? And it's kind of like social media, isn't it? It was like that mob mentality of well. You know, I'm in a crowd full of people. Of you know, yeah. another yeah. 600 people are sat around me. They're all doing it, so it must be acceptable, and, and it isn't. And I, I suppose now it's like, as Gorsi says, you know, what course of action do you take? Because you know, 
not only had they been told by the club or the authorities or whatever, but you know the, the actual people who are these chances are affecting and, and causing you know serious harm to every time they you know they appear on the telly or hear it in away ends, you know, they're hearing it from the horse's mouth. And if that isn't enough to stop them or enough to discourage them from doing it again, well, what is you know a fine? Well, that's not going to solve anything. You know, it's, it is just really sad. And yeah, it's just the thing that for me was that like. Last year there was a bit with City, wasn't well. There has been over the last couple of years. It's kind of that rivalry with City's intensifiers, and can City have, have sung that? You know, whether they come to Anfield or or Liverpool go to the Etihad. But I was just thinking, what what business have Luton got in that? You know, it's, that's I think that just shows how common common yes. it's become because you know this isn't two teams going for for the title or you know you know big rivals on and off the field. It's it's a, a team Liverpool haven't played for the best part of what fifteen years, and it's you know it's their big day on Sky Sports kind of thing and. You know, their biggest game of the season so far will be one of their biggest games of the, of the Premier League season and, and they're kind of ruining it with that and it's just like it's just not a good look and it leaves a really sour taste because on, on, a, on an afternoon that should have been you know we should be talking about other things you know Luis Diaz's heroics and, and, and Luton's performance you know doing really well we're, we're talking about this again which as Gorsi feels as Gorsi says we'll probably be doing two or three times before the season's out again no doubt so it's just a real shame and, it, and it, as he said it really does need to stop I remember um, when Liverpool played Norwich on the first game of the 21-22 season Billy Gilmore was on loan from Chelsea at the mm-hmm. time and, and there was obviously a, the Robert Terry chance um, aimed at Gilmore because of that <clears throat> and then Liverpool got Klopp to sit down with Paul Mann from Cockhouse mm-hmm. and, and he basically said explained why the, the chance was derogatory to, to a certain group and why it should stop, and then it essentially has since then. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is is kind of the point that I was making just then. You know, if people who are affected by certain chants come out and tell you, "Look, can you stop chanting this? This is why it's you know insulting and, and offensive and whatever else." Then why why can't they be listened to? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully, it does kind of fade away, but. Um, I'm not convinced that Wills will share, sadly. And the, the thing is, with with that, um, you know, those chants that, that were saying at the time, it's, it feels like now you, you don't hear them because they're self-policed. You know, people know they have a responsibility, they've heard yeah. it from the manager, yeah. they've heard it from the people it affects them, and people have now took that moral decision to, well, you know, I might not think it means that, but the person who, exactly, you, yeah. you know, yeah. who's at the centre of it, it feels, you know, deeply offended by it. So if they don't like it, I'm not going to sing it. And it feels like now, you know, you know, I go to a lot of Liverpool games and I don't think I've, I've heard that, probably since then mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a credit to Liverpool fans for listening and you know also kind of the social responsibility of people who do go to the games have been like you know you don't sing that mate or you know that's not on kind of thing but clearly that that effect isn't trickling down the Premier League The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle just choose your diamond and setting when you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, I mean, I think Liverpool fans know, don't they, that the impact that, that derogatory chants like that can have. Mm. And maybe that's why, you know, they, they've been 
sort of leaders it and stamping out those sorts of chants within their own ranks. I mean, I rem- remember going to a, to a Villa game. I think it was the, the game that, that Mane scored, the, the late winner a couple of years back and, and coming out of the stadium and minding my own business and, and a, a grown man got in my face and started shouting sort of derogatory chants and it, the, sort of the level of, of vitriol yeah. and stuff that, that is sort of swept aside as banter and things like that is, is absolutely yeah. disgusting. Yeah. And, you know, as Gorsi said, all we can do is sort of bang the drum and, and try mm. and raise awareness of that as, as much as we possibly can and, and hopefully we'll get to a point where we're not talking about it anymore um but yeah just moving on as i say Kara spoke really well about about that on on sky but he then went on after sort of it in the, the analysis of the game to sort of reflect on, on what the the game the impact the game could have on liverpool's title chances and, and he went as far as saying you know everyone knows liverpool aren't title challenges this season and I thought that was a bit harsh, really. I think, you know, we're still sort of at the stage of the season where we're, we're still learning about this Liverpool side and we don't fully know what they can achieve this season. Yeah. But when you consider, you know, obviously frustrating result yesterday, but there's still only three points off the top of, of the league, albeit with, with Tottenham to play against Chelsea tonight. But do you still think there's, there's a chance that this Liverpool side could fashion a, an opportunity to stick title challenge? Yeah, I mean, City are obviously the favourites for... For reasons that you know, they look over the last five years, the last ten years, um, they're the, the the team to beat, aren't they? But I wouldn't necessarily say Liverpool aren't can't challenge at all. You know, do we consider Arsenal as, as challenges? Would the Arsenal challenge last season? It all depends on how you define that challenge, doesn't it? You know, Liverpool taking City to within the last fifteen minutes of seasons. Now that is a challenge, isn't it? They're proper challenges. Um, so it all depends on, on how you define it, I guess. Um, Put it this way, I don't think Liverpool are going to finish lower than third this season. Uh, now, does that mean that there'll be challenges? We'll we'll find out, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think, like you say, we are just learning about what this Liverpool team are capable of. Maybe some bad habits that they need to shake off after last season. Um, but it's all fresh and new, isn't it? And I think one of the things they do need to, to learn fast is to um, not be dropping city points like to teams who were in the relegation zone. Mm-hmm. Now, before we, we move on to Toulouse, which obviously Liverpool travel there on Thursday, uh, I just want to give a quick mention to the women's team who actually beat Leicester City 2-1 yesterday. Um, and that means that three wins from five out of the, the opening five games of the season, they drew one as well. So they third in the league on 10 points. So they could be mounting a cheeky little title challenge of their own this season. If they um, playing Everton, then Anfield, they might have a chance. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's just worth, worth noting that obviously they played at Prenton Park and obviously yesterday, if, if fans were down at Luton, they wouldn't have been able to, to make it for, for the women's game. But if fans are around and, and the women are playing at Prenton Park, they get down and give them some support because I think they've been excellent this season and, and great to see them getting another three points on the board yesterday. Um, but we will move on now to Thursday. So Liverpool play to lose in the Europa League. They only need two points to, to guarantee qualification, Kiefer. What sort of game are you expecting on Thursday? Do you think Liverpool will be fired up and, and wanting to bounce back after that at, at Luton? Yeah, absolutely. And even if they are to make wholesale changes, which I think we all probably expect, you know, they've shown this season numerous times that they've got the quality to kind of dispatch opposition, especially in the Europa League, you know, what they did last time to lose at Anfield. So... That's that's kind of the aim, isn't it? To get a few goals, keep a clean sheet, and, and secure qualification. I think you know, there's obviously they all want to go far in the Europa League, but I think there's a, a greater incentive this year with uh, the team who finishes first in the group getting a bye to the the last sixteen. So you know that 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 avoids Liverpool two games in in February March time, which you know they are gonna 
you know, he's challenging on other fronts, whether it be the League Cup, the FA Cup and the Premier League. I'm sure, you know, two spare game weeks or midweek games, um, you know, spared on the calendar will, will be greatly appreciated by Klopp. So, absolutely. I mean, they've kind of taken this Europa League group lightly. I mean, me and Gorsi were saying before that we haven't even really paid yeah. much attention to, to anyone else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does sound bad, but Klopp couldn't really tell you. <laughs> How's a few of the three have been getting on amongst each other? It's almost just like Liverpool are getting their business done and yeah. they won't have to worry too much about anything else. Absolutely. I mean, I mean they've, they've made light work of the group so far and, you know, people probably look at it and think it's the Europa League, it's second rate, but, I mean, United and teams like that have struggled in the past. So, you know, you can only kind of beat what's what's ahead of you and, and you know, as I say, if they kind of put themselves in good set of qualification, then, you know, they'll be in the round of 16 and then that's, I think, when the competition starts to get serious, you know, when you get the kind of the Champions League knockouts and, you know, you'll get the big kind of spring nights at Anfield and, yeah. you know, I think, I think people maybe start to appreciate the Europa League a slightly bit more, myself included. Um, but yeah, as opposed to Fursley, I'd expect, you know, numerous changes, you know, imagine one of the young fullbacks come in, um, you know, Ben Doak maybe get a run out after a few weeks out, you know, the likes of Harvey Elliott come in and then it's all about getting the job done really and, and hopefully in, in kind of double quick time so they can, can make a few changes ahead of ahead of Sunday against Brentford mm-hmm. and as Keeper said there Gorsi it's a good chance isn't it for Klopp to sort of assess his squad particularly after a defeat uh, not a defeat well like a defeat yesterday <laughs> it was yesterday. a defeat it was an August um, Phil. After, after yesterday's result um, it gives Klopp a chance to sort of assess his squad doesn't it yeah it'd be interesting to see what he does at left back you know, obviously Luke Chambers played against Toulouse then the um, as you say we don't run, want to run Simicast into the ground um, Endo is a pretty Nail on staple fixture of the Europa League, isn't he? Uh, Cody Gakpo might start. Um, McAllister will now, won't he? After. Yeah, yeah, mm. you'd expect McAllister to start. Maybe um, Jones or Elliot, possibly Elliot. What's, um, what was what was wrong with Jones yesterday? Did, just a, a minor, mm. minor knock, apparently. But um, I mean, the pool tell you, they've played <laughs> minor knocks all the time and, and they're on for a while. So, I mean, hopefully he spotted his training this week. We'll find out what we were. Yeah, maybe a chance for Cody Gakpo to get a bit of momentum. Um, Diaz, does he start now? Um, maybe even Mendo. Lots of options for Klopp, and it's um, it's quite nice that they're on. You know, they don't have to go full big guns, did they, for this one? They can probably qualify without getting out of second gear, and that's pretty much what we're expecting at the moment. Yeah, I mean, we'll obviously be sort of doing a deep dive into into that game on Friday and, and looking ahead to to Brentford at the weekend. But just sort of as an overview, Kiefer, I mean, it, it's it's a big week for Liverpool in terms of we want them to have a, a couple of strong performances, don't you, to, to sign off for the international break? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing worse than dropping points before an international break, and I, I can't tell you last time. Oh, Brighton, that was it, wasn't it? And it, that kind of international yeah. break felt the most recent one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it felt you just kind of dragged on for ages, didn't it? Yeah. And there's nothing worse than the international break, even when you you know when you've had a win. So to kind of sign off when you when you've not had a win is is the worst. So you know they've kind of they've made good habits, haven't they, Liverpool so far? These kind of Sunday afternoon kickoffs. You, they had the one against Villa um, in early September. They had the one against Forest last week. And, you know, if you kind of compare that with Forest's trip to Anfield in, in April, I think it was when they kind of made a dog's ear of it and they had 3-2 kind of late goals. Um, you know, that's the blueprint now, isn't it? You make loads of changes on a Thursday and then on a Sunday you turn up to Anfield yeah. and you get the you get the job done. And, and then I think, you know, you, 
as with the, with the amount of rotation and the options in the squad, you know, you can still feel two really strong sides. So that's what Liverpool will be about this week. And then it's all eyes on that game at, at City, isn't it? It kind of feels like so as the, the later we get into this part, we just keep edging the games. Don't we? Looking forward to <laughs> looking forward to Thursday, looking forward to Saturday, looking forward to City. But that's it, isn't it? So it's a big week for Liverpool, just in terms of kind of getting back on track and kind of remembering who they are. I think. Yeah, we'll make you do your, your team predictions because it's quite hard to guess yeah. who's going to be yeah. starting for Liverpool. But score prediction, Gorsty. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the 5-1 was the, the biggest result of the season, wasn't it? To lose didn't cause Liverpool too many problems. Um, I can see it being another comfortable like 2-0 maybe in Liverpool at the through. I go 2-1. I, just, I, I always predict wins and, and they always win, so I don't think I've ever got the score right, but 2-1 just feels like the safest bet with the amount of changes there probably could be. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure that the Gorsty went 2-0 for his prediction for the B yesterday, so hopefully <laughs> it does prove to be a bad omen. <laughs> like Mark Lawrence, the one who used to be the know, yeah. call him. <laughs> Liverpool are invincible for five years, Steve. Well, hopefully not. Hopefully Liverpool will return to winning ways against Toulouse on Thursday. We'll be back later in the week, but thank you for joining us for the latest episode of Blood Red Podcast. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 